Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And I'm Matt Stein from Working Concept in Austin. And today we have on Matt Gray from To Be Defined. How are you doing, Matt? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. So you are working on a little something called Served or Served D. Which is it? Served is what I'm calling it. Anyway. Served. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I was thinking, you know, like Served D, MySQL D kind of thing, you know, whatever. But oh, nice. <laughs> It's definitely not a background process, so we'll call it served. <laughs> well, so if you were out in Isla Isabella in the Galapagos and you're studying the mating habits of the marine iguanas and some fellow researcher, you know, just kind of looks over at you and says, hey, Matt, what's this served thing all about? Like, what would you tell him? Uh, firstly, I'd be questioning why I was there and I had changed career so suddenly. Well, you're, um, you're watching the mating habits. You're studying the mating habits of the marine iguanas. Yeah, I mean, no one said this okay. was a professional. And they're, uh, and they're, they're notoriously okay. have oh, they oh, notoriously oh, have oh. very poor stamina when it comes to their mating rituals, shall we say? Yeah, very niche vacation <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah, quick. Okay, before the before <laughs> the iguanas finish. Come on. Oh my God. <laughs> so oh. I would explain it as a uh, craft CMS specific hosting service, which is attempting to make the deployment and maintenance of craft hosting as simple as possible. So there are a number of other hosts out there, some of which are, uh, well, maybe not craft specific, but they offer hosting packages for craft. So what would distinguish you from, say, Media Temple or uh, Arcus Tech or Hyperlane? Like what, what makes what you're working on different? So a lot of the work that I've put into the product as it stands at the moment is around building a product that fits into the development workflows that the majority of people use hmm. with Craft CMS. So because I'm able to incorporate a lot of those flows into the product itself, it means that the end user, the person who has built a Craft CMS project, doesn't have to worry about them as part of their setting up of their server and things. And also it combines a lot of the commonalities that all craft projects need in order to run. So for instance, rather than having to spin up a VPS server, install PHP, install your web server and stuff, all that's taken care of behind the scenes, all you have to do is supply your craft project I will apply the best pro best practices for getting it onto a hosting platform. And then at the end of that process, it is live. So it kind of um, takes out all of the, the bits of hosting that aren't specific to craft, or you shouldn't necessarily have to worry about if you are focusing on the craft element of your project and does them for you. Right. So if I'm a front-end developer and I don't want anything to do with DevOps... I just want a site that works. I mean, is that kind of who you're you're targeting? It would certainly work well for those types of developers. The process for actually getting a project live on served, I've tried to make as simple as possible. So essentially you give me access or you give the platform access to your Git repo, which contains your project. Mm. You answer a few questions and then some magic happens in the background and your project will be live at that point. So yes, it is definitely going to be a, time saver and also a headache saver hopefully for people who aren't devops specialists now if i'm which, if i'm not using github right if i that's just i haven't yep. adopted that workflow yet i still you know connect via ftp to upload stuff then uh, this platform might not be for me currently your project has to be inside a, a git repo okay for me to be able to connect yeah. to it but it can be hosted anywhere that git repo so it can be on GitHub, it can be on GitLab, Bitbucket, anywhere you want. Yeah, even your own Git server, right? Even your own Git server. It will allow you to set up a, an SSH private key pair. Hmm. So um, you can just pull the project via an SSH key. So uh, one of the tools that I use quite often is I use Laravel Forge. So mm -hmm. how would it compare to that? Like what, what parts of the experience might be different? You're essentially shielded from all of the server aspects of the project. Mm. So whereas Forge, it does the server provisioning for you, but you're still aware that the server is there. You're still aware of everything that's going on and things still break that you might have to fix. For instance, there's, there's always questions on the uh, Discord DevOps channel mm. where Forge has done something that someone wasn't expecting it to, or you might have to edit config files on there manually, which means you essentially have to understand how all of the stuff that Forge is doing works anyway. It's amazing, though. I mean, I, I monitor the Discord channel pretty well. And this is just a rough yeah. 
a rough sense, but I would say like literally half of the questions that people have are either related to their local dev setup or they're related to their, or their hosting. Like literally half of the questions that people have and the problems that people have are, are one or the other. And they both fall into the kind of DevOps category, right? And a lot of questions end up there too. Well, sure. But I'm just saying like the root of a lot of the the questions that people have don't really have anything to do with craft. <laughs> they have to do with getting craft working. Yeah. And I, from my point of view, it's two completely different skill sets. I mean, mm. when I first started doing web development, nobody taught me about provisioning servers. Nobody taught me about DevOps, how to get my code onto that server in a secure way and set it up so that everything was all auto-updating, backups and things like that. I was just never taught that. I, was, I had to kind of teach that myself. And I guess that begs only out of necessity once something had gone wrong. That's the time that you tend to learn it. Sure. And I guess that begs the question, like, should you have to learn it? You know, it, it kind of, in, in some sense, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a, uh, a surgeon that has to learn how to craft their own tools by hand. Like, it's kind of, kind of seems a little crazy, right? Yeah. And especially in the context of a tool like Craft, which does such a good job of allowing you to easily dip into the front end of a project mm. without having to get really deep into the the PHP ye side. Right. Um, if you don't want to, you don't have to touch that at all with Craft. So right. the fact that you can focus primarily on the front end with craft, don't have to worry about the middle bit with all the PHP ye stuff, but then you do have to worry about the server side stuff, just kind of doesn't make sense for a lot of people. And I think that's a big turnoff for a lot of people too, you know, in that, you know, there are a lot of developers that are like, uh, you know, it sounds interesting, but I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, Patrick, you you brought something up recently about uh, some tweets that were going on. Someone was talking about Craft CMS and it now the version 3.3 has got the built-in GraphQL API. Mm-hmm. And a gentleman named David Elster, I hope I got his name right. He said, I know a couple of people that are super interested in this, but aren't we all a little bit done with the whole spin up an entire server? with Apache, PHP, MySQL, Composer, and a thousand other DevOps garbage just to provide a headless <laughs> content thing, right? And right. I thought about it, and, and I think he's got a, a really good point that, you know, like, it shouldn't be this hard. It really shouldn't be this hard, right? Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, that's definitely true. And the fact that we are seeing more tools which allow pure front-end development for these types of projects right. means that there's even more of a reason for people to feel like they shouldn't have to learn all of the back-end infrastructure things. And then everyone's moving to the cloud as well. So from most people's, to say most people, from a lot of developers' point of view, the, all this stuff is being handled by other people anyway, which means that they can focus more on the speciality of front-end and um, the actual product, the user-facing product. Right. Patrick, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think we've seen between like Contentful and Sanity.io and there's certainly a people looking for something that can give them a place to store their content, put in an API and not have to worry about, yeah, maintaining a server. So it makes a lot of sense in, in my in my mind. And I mean, I guess this is not just for a headless approach to it, but also for hosting, you know, your, your entire front end as well. One thing I'm curious, as you've been talking, can you tell more about what sort of, you know, cloud infrastructure, or what sort of setup is being used? You know, I understand this is still in a beta right now, but yeah. what's going to be used behind the scenes and how you deal with, you know, you're in Manchester, I'm in Boston, obviously, where we may have different requirements for where something is hosted. How do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, so I'll go over the the architecture in kind of general terms. Everything's hosted, well, the majority of the compute power behind this Mm -hmm. service is all hosted on Mm DigitalOcean. It's using their new uh, Kubernetes cluster service. Mm-hmm. Now, hold on. Inside... I, need to, I need to translate. For everyone listening from the United <laughs> States of America, <laughs> it's it's Kubernetes. So I'll call it Kate's. You, you may be right, though. I don't know which one is correct. But I remember when I was first talking to Matt about this and he, he said, say that word again. Kubernetes. Yes. I, I was just like, what is I've never heard of this technology before, Matt. Like, I'm, and I was really puzzled and surprised. I'm like, this is weird. Like, I've never heard of this thing before. And I'm just like, oh, wait a minute. You mean Kubernetes? Oh, OK. Anyway, I'm sorry. Laces up his Adidas. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead it's, a, it's a Docker thing, right? It's a Docker. <laughs> it is, yeah, Docker, yeah. All right, go ahead. So I'm deploying Docker containers on, into my Kubernetes cluster. Hmm. But yeah, it's using the DigitalOcean uh, 
Kate's clusters, I am able to then deploy uh, craft projects into that cluster. So there's nothing particularly special about that, except for the way that the craft projects have to be manipulated in order to work within that environment. So, so, so I just want to, of, I want to take a, a step back for a second. For anyone who's not familiar yeah. with the K word, Kubernetes, this yeah. is a technology from Google that essentially allows you to scale stuff up, right? It's got like virtual servers that will just scale up and down automatically as you need more horsepower, right? Indeed. So officially it is called a container orchestration system. Um, essentially yes. it's a platform which manages the scaling replication and the organization of containers on a set of nodes, a node being a, a kind of a more traditional physical server. The idea being that you can have a Kubernetes cluster, which is made of multiple nodes, multiple servers, and then you can deploy containerized applications into that cluster and Kubernetes will move them around, make sure that they've got the right amount of CPU attached to them, the right amount of memory available. It will make sure that persistent storage like disk space is attached to them in the right way. And it does all that behind the scenes for you. And if you scale an application up, it will create more instances of your application and put mm -hmm. those on the right nodes. And it does all that in a very clever way, only occasionally falls over. So you have to, uh, so, so the idea have to make sure it's going to survive when things go wrong. But other than that it kind of manages everything itself so i don't even have a decision that i need to make when i'm picking like the size of this thing right i just click a button and i've got this thing and if it needs to be bigger it gets bigger right yeah that's the general idea and is there a cap there's the well the cap is based on resources so the number of nodes that are in your cluster define how many applications in your cluster and you can keep adding nodes to increase the cpu and increase the memory and then you can just consume all of those resources as a big pool and um, yeah you can just scale up your application to kind of consume all of them. There is a, cap, a hard cap in Kate's on the maximum number of nodes that it officially supports. But I cannot remember exactly how much it is. And I think it's something silly like a thousand nodes. Mm. So you could have like a thousand eight CPU nodes in your cluster for like 8,000 CPUs. Jeez. <laughs> That's a lot. So yeah. Matt, I've, I, I've not managed to pay. I've not managed to uh, reach that amount because it would be quite expensive. Yeah. I followed along on your blog because I like to keep track of what all Matts are doing and um, really appreciate the way that you've been blogging about what you're doing and assume that Docker was was, you know, alive and well behind the scenes of what you're building. If I'm used to, if I'm somebody that's used to only working with shared hosting or even a VPS, you know, I never worry about the memory falling out or having too little CPU because usually they can be scaled up. And what you're describing sounds like a, an unsavory word that starts with cluster. Um, why, why might... <laughs> Kubernetes or Kate's or whatever we're calling it, why might I actually want that and not know it? Like what, what benefit is there over, you know, something like Forge at, at the end of the day, like for my site's health? Yeah. So one of the primary benefits is that you can scale your application arbitrarily. So you will be able to, without worrying about how this works in the background, you will be able to provide your application to served and served will deploy it in the cluster. And then it will just be a, a one-click operation for you to scale up your project to multiple instances. So essentially, you could double your throughput of traffic just via the dashboard. Yeah, so when, when your client calls you, which has happened to a number of us on here, when your client calls you and says, I'm going to be on Good Morning America in two days, <laughs> you don't go... Oh crap. Instead you can <laughs> yeah. just you can just log in and be like, okay, scale up to a certain amount, right? Yep. And then it takes about thirty seconds to scale up from that point. I would ask anyone that is going to be featured on Good Morning America to just give me a call first, <laughs> just to make sure that uh, I'm sat in front of my computer at the time. But yeah. um but yeah, that's uh, essentially that's the one of the main benefits that you get out of deploying to um to Kate, to a big cluster like that. All right, now I got something official to play here. Give me a moment, here we go. If you could try your best to pronounce this word. Uh, I don't even get to see the word first. Kubernetes. 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 I'm looking at one of the I didn't post, yeah. Kubernetes. It's gripping though. Kubernetes. Yeah, I mean, I don't have question, one with I'm glad we paused Kubernetes. Here. Yeah. Kubernetes. Kubernetes. 
I don't know. And this is a social experiment. All right, all right. See, okay, I'm not the only one that messes this stuff up, but it, it is. <laughs> the official pronunciation apparently is Kubernetes. I actually had it ah, right. You got it right. I actually no, had I'll it practice. right for once. Hmm. It's amazing. He's all grown clock up. is right no. twice a day. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, whatever. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's wrong or your pronunciation is wrong because for your part neck of the woods, you know, it probably is correct. Like if the average person where you live on uh, Isla Isabella saw this, they probably would say, yeah. how do you say it? Kubernetes. <laughs> 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 but to be, to be honest, I was probably the first person that started talking about it in my circle of dev friends. So they probably just all adopted it from me and they're all just saying it wrong and it's my fault. Oh, well, that makes it awesome. <laughs> because <laughs> you're you're like patient zero or whatever you know yeah, but you can always the virus of mispronunciation yeah you can always claim you know ownership of the original english so you've got that maybe i should just trademark it under the kind of alternative <laughs> pronunciation <laughs> and try and sell it back to google but in, in any event i mean it sounds like what you're really trying to do is you're trying to simplify the development and or sorry the deployment process and the devops process to where like assuming i can get something into a git repo you got me from there Right? Yes. You don't have to worry about how any of this is working behind the scenes as long as your code is in a Git repo and you're happy to connect your Git repo to the served platform. Then served will take it from there and it will make a few changes to the underlying config for craft. So it will make some changes to, for instance, the database connection details. It will make some changes to the uh, Redis details. So you don't even have to worry about supplying the database host address or the Redis host. All that's done for you behind the scenes. And then once it's made those changes, it will containerize your application. So you don't even have to worry about the Docker portion of, uh, of how to get your project into a Docker container. That's all done for you. Mm. And then it deploys it into the platform and then just gives you a nice GUI to interact with it from that point forward. And I guess you touched a little bit on there. So with the database, I, I can see that DigitalOcean has a similar to RDS on Amazon. They have a, a shared database setup. Does each person get put into their own? Is A, is that what you're using? B, does everyone get their own little database setup? It seems like that might be really costly or is everyone in kind of a shared database environment, but you know, have their own DB within it? Everyone has their own individual database. So oh, okay. everything yep. everything is separated within containers. So there's, there is not a single container within the cluster that is shared between multiple projects. Mm. And that is a key security consideration because it mm -hmm. means that every single application is fully encapsulated away from yeah, everyone sure. else's, I mean, essentially. Uh, otherwise, you've just done a really, really fancy shared hosting setup. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> And I didn't want to. I didn't want to go down that route, and especially because um, the way that resources are shared as well is done. So what I did want to do is the traditional shared hosting setup, where there is a set of resources, and then the shared host will just try to cram as many projects onto a server until that server falls over. You know what? I, when, whenever I think, that, whenever I think of shared hosting, I think of a video of feeding like a pack of dogs, where you put down a bowl yeah. and then just. <laughs> They all just like rush in, stepping on each other and throwing each other to the side, trying to get at the food. It's basically what shared hosting is, you know? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I wanted to avoid that because I've fallen victim to that in the past where I've been told on a project that I have to use a certain host and that host uh. is uh, using shared hosting. And so I didn't want to go down that route for my service. So the way that Kate gets around that is by allocating specific amounts of resource that are available within the pool to your containers. Hmm. So even though it is sharing a CPU between multiple projects, each of those projects has a dedicated amount of that CPU that it can use within a given time slice, which means that it's still kind of the distribution of the CPU and memory is a set amount per project, even though it's using the same physical CPU and memory under the hood. Got it. So how does that work? I mean, do you have different tiers in terms of like what people can, because at some point you have to have some way to to bill people for a yeah. amount of resource that they use. So how, do, how are you doing that? I'm still working on the exact limits behind the different plans that mm -hmm. are going to be available for serve. The, the overall approach that I'm currently going with is that I want to focus more on visitors. This is one of the things that I've been toying with since the very beginning of having this idea was a lot of developers who, especially the, the non-DevOpsy type developers who we were referring to previously, don't necessarily know exactly how much CPU and memory they're going to need right. in order to serve 
this application that was built because the only way to figure that out is to do either a huge load test and then take some averages from your load test or it's to actually put it live and, and see essentially leave it for a bit and, and, and i think that's what you're people, using and i think that's what people do i mean i think people just are like mm, i don't know this should be enough and then yeah they're just guessing and, and a lot of the time they may actually be buying much more server than they actually need yeah and I mean, hopefully you end up buying more than you need rather than less than you need because right. more doesn't cause problems. But a lot of the time you just don't know until you've put it live. Well, it causes um, problems for your, your wallet. <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the, uh, other, but, that's the other interesting thing to me about what you're doing is not just that it will scale up, but that you can start with something reasonable. You know, you could start with yeah. a very reasonable setup. And if it ends up being not big enough, no big deal. It just will kind of auto scale up. Yeah. So as I was saying about the the plans, I've wanted from the very beginning to try to abstract away the CPU and memory requirements because quite often we don't know exactly what we're going to need. So I've been toying with the idea of charging for visitors rather than specific amounts of CPU and memory. The current, the way it's currently set up at the moment and the way that the projects that are on there at the moment are running is by having a, a basic plan of 25,000 unique visitors per month. Hmm. And then a unique visitor is measured as a, uh, a unique external IP address per day. So if the same person visits on two subsequent days, that's two visits, two visitors. Uh, but if one visitor reads 10 pages uh, on a single day, that's still just one visitor. And what if one um, user downloads 100 200 gigabyte files in one day. Well, hopefully you've hosted those on a CDN. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, or how do you protect yourself from somebody that has the most poorly optimized site that one visitor, you know, <laughs> takes yeah. just an yeah, ungodly amount of resources? That's where the limits in the background on the amount of CPU and memory mm. that can be associated with a particular project within a given time slice Got it. comes into effect. So... Although you can have spiked spikes of traffic, so for it, essentially the way it works is that whenever a single request comes in, your CPU and memory requirements are going to spike when PHP is processing that single request. But then as soon as that request is served back to the user, is sent back to the user, your resources, your resource requirements essentially drop back down to zero unless you've got some background processes running. So I, I, so, I kind of touched on it when I asked about someone downloading, you know, all these huge things, but how are you handling images? How does that work? In terms of how are they being served or where they where yeah. they live yeah you... where where do they live and you know do i have to do anything because if if the devops stuff is out of my hands part of what i do is i usually set up you know somewhere that the images live either on the server or in s3 or something like that you know yeah so you can include static files um along inside the git repo mm. and they will just be deployed in the normal way so then you can just reference them as you would uh, a CSS file or a JavaScript file. You can also make use of a, an image optimization service that I've built specifically for CERD, which is very closely based off the work that you did with the image optimization using Lambda functions. Hmm. It's using that as a base with some tweaks on top. And I've packaged that up so that it's available as a service for all projects that get deployed to the served platform. And then in order to integrate with that, I've built a served helper plugin. So if you install this plugin in your craft project, you will get zero config access to that image optimization service. And it just kind of, not only does it give you the image optimization stuff, but it also gives you an asset upload location. So any assets that are uploaded via the uh, craft control panel will go into a served specific asset storage space, which is uh, based on S3. Okay, so this is pretty amazing. So in addition to not having to deal with, okay, so first of all, I wanna get this out of the way. I have no financial stake in served at all <laughs> anything that you're using i you know whatever i'm not compensated for any of this but it's pretty amazing because you're, you're basically saying that okay don't worry about the devops we'll spin up the server we'll take care of all that kind of good stuff don't worry about the database we got you there and then you're also saying don't worry about whatever you would normally do with your images we're, we're going to take care of that they're automatically yeah, going to be they're automatically optimized they're automatically uh, the the scaling of them is automatically offloaded to a lambda function somewhere Right? Yep. Uh, all you've got to do is just install the yeah. helper plugin. 
and um, that will give you a, a new asset type and a new volume type right. in craft and then you've just got to set that up as your kind of your default asset storage in that volume and everything else is just done for you yeah, it's almost like a i mean i know this is going to be appealing to patrick because this is almost like having a server-side gatsby in terms of like just it takes care of stuff for you you know yeah 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 it's a lot of stuff that i try to do but i you know there's a lot of time and effort that goes into that so I have a lot of that you know taken off of my plate would be pretty cool well that's an amazing amount yeah. of, of best practices stuff that it's just doing for you i mean that's that yeah and that's that's the reason why i went craft specific with this there's no reason why the architecture that's powering the served service couldn't be used for any old php or even beyond php because it's just containers right so a container can contain any application code right there's no reason why i couldn't deploy any type of application to the cluster but what makes this a little bit more special and kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation where you asked what differentiates served from other hosting providers one of the main reasons is that it is craft specific so i've been able to bundle all of those craft specific processes best practices and things in with the offering so all that just gets done for you right and this is a proof of concept right so if this ends up working out amazingly right and you are you you got your own island somewhere you know you're you're good to go on that stuff you could <laughs> yeah, then yeah. you could then i mean this is a very typical model right is that you spin up something with a proof of concept in a sphere that you know well but then you can replicate it and you can apply the same thing to a whole bunch of different niches right yeah there's no reason why this couldn't be used for you know, any any well I, I would stay in the php territory to begin with because sure. that's easier for me to balance mm-hmm. the resource usage things behind the scenes because they're a bit more similar the types of projects but yeah there's no reason why i couldn't take the scripting that i've written to automate all of these best practices uh, recreate them for a different backend framework and then just have a select box on the front end that says, what type of project is this? Or even auto-detect it from the Git repo. Now, Matt is probably sitting over there just turning red with rage because, <laughs> I mean, th- this is something that you, Matt Gray, you have implemented something that Matt Stein has been like playing around with all these little bits and pieces yourself, right? Yeah, that... Um so Matt Gray is is living the life with Docker that I imagine myself living. I just made it here. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful here. It seems really nice from over here. I, I completed a whole a, a Docker course. Yeah. Um, it included some Docker Swarm, and I made a little cluster, and then I promptly did nothing with that information because I couldn't translate, you know, my single VPS model into making that work. Is Kubernetes similar to Docker Swarm in that if if a node eats it or, or dies, that it can self-heal as well yeah so that is somewhat dependent on the service that is providing the kubernetes cluster so it that differs depending on whether you're hosting on an aws kate solution or DigitalOcean kate solution or google's container solution but each of those do offer that functionality so the answer is yes but it's not it's not something that is um guaranteed with kate the provider offers that additional service on top so does does that actually translate at the end of the day to more stability i think that was my chief interest in everything docker is just having no single point of failure basically or sorry yes yeah, so, swarm so yes yeah, so and not only will it recreate nodes which go down because you can define health checks for how you should detect the health of a particular node and then if that health check fails it will scrap the old one and create a new one you can also have the same type of logic for individual containers so if i've got php application running inside the cluster and something goes wrong with that particular container so that the health checks start failing for that container that container will get scrapped and it will create a new one which might end up on a different node or it might end up on the same node That's and cool. it will just, it will just get recreated and also because all the image that was used to create that container will be in a local cache as well so that recreation can take like 5 seconds hmm. So yes, it's all self-healing and it's all nice like that. It can also do, um, in a similar vein, automated scaling. So you can have things that are similar to health checks that check response times and things like that coming in and out of your containers. And if the response times start to increase, then it will automatically scale your application. How that fits into served at the moment, I'm not sure. I've not gone to kind of the auto-scaling land with served yet but, that, um, that's, but, but kate's gives you all of that functionality that's the thing that i find most annoying and where the rage comes from inside is that 
in in the time you 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 blog openly, transparently, and very generously about how to do these things. Right. And mm-hmm. by the time I will have maybe gotten something a, a real project running on a cluster, you will have created an entire service for that and made that available. It's I, <laughs> just the amount of uh, knowledge that you've like accumulated and shared, and I, I just think it's what you're doing is really cool and how you're sharing everything. And uh, I I find that annoying in the most complimentary way. <laughs> Like, well, and well, that, and that's a way. Firstly, th- thanks for, but uh, also sorry. Well, and, <laughs> that's actually the reason why I brought it up is not just to insult Matt Stein, which is, I mean, I mean that that's reason enough. But the the, the other reason is I'm I'm really curious. Like, what made you decide that you should do this? Like, Matt, you were sitting there, you know, sitting around. What made you say? Uh, I think I'm. Mate. Yeah, watching mm-hmm. iguanas mate. Like what? What made you decide to do this? Like, what made you say, oh, you know, we've had lots of guests on here that they authored their own CMS or their own framework or whatever. And every single one of them has been, I think, partially tongue in cheek has said, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> what made you decide that this was a good idea to start your own hosting service? Um, it was a confluence of things. Um, so I'll give you a bit of a backstory on me because that kind of feeds into the decision a little. I worked at a digital agency as head of dev there for seven years. You mean literally a I, digital agency, not a digital agency? <laughs> a a digital agency in Manchester. Yeah, okay. I just want to make um, that clear because there's yeah, there, there's a digital the agency. A digital, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. It's, very confu- it's very confusing, but there's a digital agency named a digital agency. Okay. Yeah. Let's make that. Got it. So a generic digital agency. Got it. I worked there as head of dev for seven years, decided that I wanted to try the the freelance thing. Mm -hmm. So I did consulting for two years, the previous two years from now. I have been consulting and doing freelance craft work, especially around high availability, because I know a lot of these things around. I know a lot of the DevOps stuff, which gives me a good edge on setting up sites for high availability. But also during that period, I was getting involved in Docker and how to use Docker for both local development and in production environments. I found myself needing a service that could host multiple sites because I was setting up these high availability services for people all the time. And there was no reason why that shouldn't be consolidated into a service that could kind of handle it all out of the box. So rather than charging my clients one-off fees for setting up the same old high availability setup with Docker, I could set up a service that allowed them to do it without them having to worry about how it worked behind the scenes. Mm. So it was kind of taking all of the knowledge that I'd accumulated over those years and putting it into a product that I thought I would benefit from. But ironically, at the same time, putting myself in a position where I probably wouldn't be doing that type of project much anymore because I would be looking after this service instead. Well, yeah, I mean, you you needed a house built. And instead of doing that, you started a house building company right? <laughs> that, can, that, can, yeah. that can build a house for, for anybody, right? But I think it's really interesting because there are two parallel stories here, at least from, from my mind. And one is the, the story of the, the platform that you're building initially for the, the craft CMS world where people might want to start using it for their, their hosting, right? And then the other story is you building this software as a service in, in 2019. And I think it's really, it's really interesting to get into the motivations that people have behind deciding to to do this on their own. I mean, what was the turning point for you that you said, you know yeah. what, I'm I'm going to start a business around this? Yeah, there's more of a, a kind of, I guess, a, more of a personal story behind setting up this and the direction that I've gone over the last few years. And that's been based on my partner, uh, my partner, Mandy, who uh, she became ill about five years ago. And she was kind of the her becoming ill was the catalyst behind me moving into freelance work because I needed to spend more time at home hmm. uh, with her. Um, also, we had to do a load of fundraising because she needed some surgery that we couldn't get on even though we do have the NHS over here. So we're winning in that regard. But the NHS wouldn't provide the surgery that Is it optional or something? she needed. It's We got into this weird limbo with the NHS at, at that point where they said that they recognized the issue that she had, but wouldn't provide the surgery to fix it because hmm. not enough people had had that hmm. surgery previously for it to be evidence-based. Hmm. So essentially, they didn't have someone saying, this definitely works. Mm. So they wouldn't sign off on it. 
So we had to fundraise for it privately. It's got to be maddening. Yes, it is. And it's especially annoying because everyone just assumes that the NHS is going to provide what you need in the UK. So majority of people don't have health insurance right? um, because you just assume you don't need it. But then when something comes up like that, you have to fundraise for it privately. Well, in, in fairness here, even if you did have you know, fully funded private insurance through whoever you have it, yeah. you very well might end up in the same, same situation in terms of haggling yeah, sure. over them, in terms of whether they're going to, whether they're going to cover it or not. So, but anyway, let's yeah. get back to your, your story with Mandy. So she, I'm, I'm, I'm gripped. Like, I want to know what, what, what <laughs> happened? Did you guys raise the money you needed for a Kickstarter? So yeah, we ended up funded. It took us about mm, nine months ish to raise all the money we needed for the surgery to be done privately. Mm-hmm. She ended up having that surgery, which was a big fixation on her spine. So mm. uh, at the top of her spine, she has all that. It's all, essentially, it's all titanium up there now. Oh, wow. So she's got a very stiff neck now. Man, um, I, I had something <laughs> not not related to that, but I had back in college, I was in uh, Ithaca where they have these gorges and cliff diving was something that we did pretty often. Yeah. And so there's this one cliff is like 50 feet taller or, or whatever. I was jumping off of it. And my girlfriend at the time, I wasn't there, decided that she was going to jump off the same thing. She went in on an angle, snapped her back. Uh-huh. And I was at I was at a party. I was drunk out of my mind. <laughs> and I, I got the call, ended up joining her on an ambulance and heading up to the Cornell Medical Center for her to, to get looked at or whatever. But she ended up with a whole bunch of titanium rods in her back. She's fine now. She's fine now. Let's get back to Mandy. How is Mandy doing with her titanium? <laughs> she's, well, she's enjoying it more than she uh, was enjoying it beforehand. But yeah, afterwards paid for that surgery and that all went well. She is now better than she was. She's not fully over all of the issues that she's got. She's still got some issues around with blood flow mm. uh, around her neck. So we, I was actually in Cambridge last week for another surgery that she was having. But and that's ongoing. She's she's going to be in and out of hospital for the next couple of years at least, getting these surgeries that she needs. But the fact that we had to fundraise for that first surgery put me in a position where after that I I was thinking to myself, I don't want to be in this position again. Mm. I mean, um, I don't I don't want to have to go through this and ask other people for money, which is essentially needed to save my partner's life right so yeah a big catalyst behind me firstly working from home full-time and then in a a secondary capacity wanting to find a way for me to be able to fund a life that might incur these kind of one-off costs that are absolutely necessary for me to be able to find wow i wanted to move into a situation where i was in control of my own income and financial future. And that meant that I had to develop my own business and Mm -hmm. my expertise, I guess, are more suited to building products, technical products. And this is the first thing that I thought has big scope and also something that I could do well. Man, that that is an incredible story. I mean, Matt, not only is he incredibly smart and building this amazing infrastructure for initially for hosting craft CMS sites, but he's doing it for, you know, the, the big catalyst behind it was for altruistic reasons, Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully I'll take myself on a holiday as well. Yeah. But... <laughs> Matt, do you do anything childish or poorly considered? I know. <laughs> God. Um, not recently. I've been too busy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, okay, that that's a fantastic story. It's amazing yeah. to hear the, the motivation behind that. And I think that rings true for a lot of people. I mean, for a lot of people starting their own business, they, they want to do it to have freedom in one sense or another, whether it's financial freedom or just, you know, the freedom to spend time with their kids or, or whatever it ends up being. I just think it's really, really interesting to hear the, the motivation behind building this thing because you have clearly really put a whole lot of work into this. So where, where is Serve D currently? Like when is it, when Served. can someone start serving with Serve D or Served? <laughs> served. Uh, it, it's in private beta at the moment. Mm. Um, all of the infrastructure that's sat behind it is pretty much ready to go. It has a few sites that are already hosted on there. My blog is on there. The Ooh. 2bdefined.studio website is on there. And then there's a couple of other projects that my beta testers so far have moved over onto the platform. So the platform's there. It is serving sites hmm. at the moment. And I'm still building bits and bobs of functionality, which is why it's in private beta and not public. Sure. And I'm 
I'm expecting to get uh, at least three more people onboarded next week. And it's quite fluid in terms of timeline. Essentially, it's going to go into public beta once I am happy that I have tested it with enough unique craft CMS projects from different developers to be sure that it's not just going to fall over when right. someone comes along <laughs> with a craft CMS project that's got some like custom functionality running in the background that I have never seen before. Right. So yeah, it's all there. It's ready to go. It works. I'm just in the uh, testing it to make sure that it's um, going to live up to everyone's expectations. I'm, I'm very happy that I have a the tiniest bit of involvement in this and that you're, you're using some small piece of the uh, the serverless image handler stuff. But what, what about queues? Do you, are you doing anything in terms of handling custom queues? Like are you using Amazon SQS or, or running it via a CLI or, right, so or doing anything with that? That's all just handled with a, a background container. So nice. again, it's all zero config. So you just give me your project and I inject all the settings which are needed to set you up for background queue runners. Mm. And a container which is dedicated to running your background jobs will just check the database every it's currently set up to run every 60 seconds at the moment is it using um, system d or, or cron or was it what's it using it's, it's using kate's cron jobs oh okay moment. right so so uh, kate's has its own version of cron jobs where you can spin up containers mm -hmm. on a schedule and because of the way that kate's works it keeps a cache of the image that it's going to spin up so it only takes a few seconds for it to actually spin up i was thinking um, about so it matt, just, matt i can delete like half of my blogs now they're just not relevant anymore <laughs> <laughs> assuming that everybody starts using this service that's right which, um, hopefully they won't all do on day one because that would cause me a headache well i mean that that reminds me of the there was an old sun microsystems ad that they came out with everyone wants you know the the world to come visit their website but what do you do when it actually happens and they show this yeah. big stampede of animals you know heading towards it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, luckily I'm protected by being behind a computer and right. uh, not in front of a stampeding mass. Well, but, I know you, I know you're being yeah. I know you're being conservative about it, but the the reality is, and yes, stuff can go wrong, but you're you're basing everything all of the stuff that you're using on some pretty battle-tested stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, all of the technology that's sat behind this is all things that Google have been using in their data centers for years. Yeah, and it's Google... It's just been made a bit more generic in order to release it. As it is, as Kate's exists at the moment, it's kind of like a, a generic version of the things that Google have been using for years. Yeah, and I know that Kubernetes was brought to life, or sorry, Pokemon Go was brought to life using Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the the technology. Probably that, the only way that it could have scaled so quickly. Oh, it's the only way because it, it ended up being something like um, they did. You know, they projected their the best case scenario, worst case scenario, expected case scenario for releasing this thing. And I think it was something like thirty times their worst case scenario in terms of how many people. Were <laughs> like I'm sure there were people just tearing their hair out. But I just wanted to mention that because actually, no, I'm sorry, it was actually fifty times their worst case estimate. But the reason I'm mentioning it is like, I don't want people to, to think that this is some weird like homebrew thing that you're, you're you know, just Frankenstein patching together. These are all industry standard solid technologies that, that people have been using for a long time to do a lot of really cool stuff, right? Yeah, the, the layer that I have built on top of those technologies is the bit that takes your project, injects the best practices, mm. and then deploys it on that system so that you don't have to worry about how to interact with it, how to do the scaling on it, how to set up your project so that it works well within that system. But yeah, the underlying system is good old Kate's and uh, it's very battle tested. Yeah, and you, you used a phrase earlier that I've never spoken in my life, which is that you had the same old high availability setup and you've, you've built this thing. Um, what's it? And you, you mentioned wanting it to live up to other people's expectations. What's it been like for you to build it? Was it just like a you know you you block out time and everything's gone how you thought it would? Or I mean, was it crazy challenging uh, to build that layer? I, yeah, I mean, I didn't know how it was going to work when I first started working on it. Which was I've probably been I've been thinking about this for about twelve months. And at the beginning, I knew that this was possible. I knew that the technologies were there to make right. something like this happen but i wasn't sure how all the different pieces fit together 
So the first six months, I was still working pretty much full time doing consultancy work. So that was just evenings and weekends, just tinkering around with different underlying methods of trying to achieve what I thought was possible. And eventually I settled on the system that I've currently got set up. So the actual, the way that everything interacts, I settled on that. And it was at that point that I could then start thinking about what's the user interface for this going to look like? Because... I could then actually start plumbing things in. You built it kind of like a few different ways and to ultimately settle on on what worked and then... Yeah, I built out three different Hmm. methods of making all this work in the back end, like the actual container orchestration stuff. I built three different methods. Uh, First two just got scrapped and then... The third one stuck around. So that one ticks the most boxes. Now, when you and I talked a little while ago about Served, I had brought up this crazy idea. And and this is based on my experience where a lot of the questions that I see people asking are people who can't get either, either they're having issues with craft on their production server or in their local dev server. And I said, hey, you know, Matt, you've already got this stuff kind of nailed. Like, can you just provide a Docker container? that so when people start a project with you to spin it up in local dev all they'll have to do and you can just show them the command like docker compose type this and go to this address and then boom you're up and running in local dev has that something that you've given any more consideration to yeah so the a lot of the articles that are on my my blog website mm-hmm. are kind of a step by step process of how to go from nothing to a dockerized craft cms setup Mm-hmm. There is absolutely no reason why a user couldn't download the kind of the final product from that series of articles and just run a single command and they would have a, a Docker environment up and running on their right. local machine. The reason that I wrote those articles is so that people could understand the ins and outs of how it's all working because as soon as something goes wrong, you kind of it's a lot better if you've worked through it from start to finish so you sure. know how everything's working. But yeah, there's no reason why we couldn't package up that the end product and use that as the simplest way would just for it to be a git repo which someone could just download and it does exist um i have a git repo for that article series which is linked from those articles and in the uh, final article in that series you can just download the repo from there and you can essentially spin up a local docker based environment for a craft cms project just by running docker compose up on your local machine and that will do all of your database redis php nginx and it will configure it all and it will link it to a local port on your local host so you can just start talking to it straight away yeah i just thought Um, that would be really cool if if, yeah yeah. the in terms of have i put any more thought into it since then the answer is yes the actual what that looks like in reality I'm still need to put some shape around. Yeah. My first speculative thoughts are that the process of downloading that Docker setup and using it locally is still a there's still a couple of hoops to jump through there. Mm. Um, in terms of quite often there's port conflicts that might happen when you right. um, run a, a Docker project. It's difficult to run two side by side side by side simultaneously right so you guys shut one so, down before you start using the other one yeah it's, it's not a massive deal but right. it can catch people out because of the poor mappings and things well and that's um, probably doesn't have to be a 1.0 or mvp feature you know i just thought it'd be no. kind of interesting because again i'm just looking at this from the perspective of i've seen so many people have problems with their local dev environment whether it's map or valet or vagrant or docker or whatever it is and if you you're you're already eliminating the whole DevOps server side of things, you know? It would be really cool mm-hmm. if you're able to do the round trip and you're eliminating the the issues with, with local dev as well. But the ultimate would be to have something like flywheels local. Yeah. Right. But for craft. Right. And have all that based in Docker. So that would be essentially it would all be the same under the hood. You'd still be running craft in similar set of Docker containers, but you would have a user interface that kind of ran the commands on your behalf and made sure that projects were shut down and started up and mapped the correct ports and things on your behalf. And that could be something as simple as, I say something as simple as, I even <laughs> thought about how it would work yet, but uh, that could be something like an Electron app. So it would be cross-platform as well. As simple as, huh? <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, compared to some of the stuff I've had to worry about recently right right (laughs) well okay all right fair enough um so when are you uh, did you do you have a date for this thing being live do you want people to sign up for the the beta are you full for that you know what tell us about that the list for the private beta is open 
on served.host, which right. is um, which will be the marketing site for this project. At the moment, it's just some prose that I wrote about the the idea behind the project and then a link to sign up for the private beta list. Anyone is free to sign up for that list. Currently, my process is to find people in the UK who are on that private beta list. And I'm going through those people first simply because of tax implications. Mm. There's some work that I still need to do on the business and accountancy side of this product to make sure that um, I can start selling it to people in the US. The US should be pretty easy. Europe, who the hell knows what's going to happen there. <laughs> I was going to say, check back in nine weeks. Yeah, yeah. Get, get back yeah. to you in a few months. <laughs> well, it'll have just been delayed again, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, EU is currently a little bit on hold because I and my accountant have no idea what's going to happen. Hmm. But UK and US, I am currently inviting people to try out the service. In terms of timeline, it's literally just going to be until I am confident that I can open this to a a more public beta. I'm expecting that to be in the month to two months range. Now, do you have any kind of, I don't know how much of a server config that there is, but do you have anything like a server config file where you can do kind of the, if I don't want to go in there and click a whole bunch of buttons to like set up a new site, do you have just like a server config.yaml or something like that that could just be, you know, pushed somewhere or Uh, something like that? I don't currently. but there is very little that you actually need to configure in terms of getting it live. The only thing that is requested as an input when you are setting up a project on served is just environment variables. Hmm. So um, I guess I could create a file that lives inside the Git repo, or I could just read the env file, as long as the env file is in some passable format variables out there. Yeah, if it's there, you might as well try to read it. I'm just thinking like we use Buddy quite a bit, and there's a pipeline.yaml that you can use for Buddy so that you don't have to go in there and configure it on each project. You can have like a a stock pipeline that you use and maybe tweak a couple minor things and then away you go. Yeah, similar to um, I use GitLab a lot. Right. Uh, uh, GitLab CI has a similar concept. Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, I mean, I that's I, saying that you wouldn't have much to configure, though. Or right. Like uh, current, currently, the only thing that you actually input as part of the, the setup process is the environment variables. So there's not much that you can actually change. Right. Um, so it'd be a pretty slim file. Right. Well, maybe expanding in the future. Who knows? But that also makes me think about, so another service that a lot of people use that if they don't want to deal with DevOps stuff, some people use Heroku. Like what, what do you think the advantages your system might have over someone using Heroku? Again, the advantages essentially fall down to this is the the kind of the craft specific elements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the the end of the day, hosting is going to be hosting it. you, You will have some resources and you can deploy something to it and it will consume those resources in order to run your application. There's nothing different about my service other than how the CPU and memory is allocated. Well, there's the expense. There's the expense too, which Heroku can it can get up there. There's the expense in terms of because it. I think Heroku works on like a per process basis, mm-hmm. so um, you have to expand based on the number of simultaneous users that you want to be able to support, as well as the total throughput of resources. And then whatever add-ons you add on there, some of them are free, some of them are paid, some of them are paid in tiers depending on usage and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. So like, I've not used Heroku a huge amount, but one of the features that I have researched as part of my research for this on Heroku is how they manage logging. Mm. Which I guess I could um, mention as part of served as well, because logging with majority of hosting providers means either you log to the file system. Yep. So you have to SSH into the server and start playing around with log files on the command line, or you have to set up your own log aggregation server, which means you have to configure craft to uh, send the logs to some remote place. And um, paper then, trail or whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas served does that on your behalf and just serves them through a uh, an interface with as part of the GUI. Nice. And that's all done using buffering within the cluster. So uh, when I, when you give served your craft project, I make a couple of tweaks before I deploy it into the cluster, which tells craft to send its log files to a buffer within the cluster. Hmm. And then the buffer will collect those log files in real time and then send them off to a third party service where they get indexed. And then the the user interface within the served platform then allows you to run to watch a real time log 
of a, like a, a live tail of those logs and also allows you to do free text search over the logs over the last uh, I think it's set up for three days in the basic Man, account that's, that's sorry that I was just going to say that's all zero config stuff as well so it just gets done for you and it just works immediately yeah that's amazing and shout out to Matt Wilcox who if he made it this far Matt if you're listening <laughs> he was very upset that Craft removed the ability to view some of the log files from in within within the CP like he wanted <laughs> to be able to see the PHP errors and some of these other log files well there you go. You served. You've got your own logging service built in. You got tech search. You got everything. That's I hope pretty it's called amazing. logged. Is it called logged? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's about three levels deep in the navigation at the moment, and it's just called logs. I need to do some work on the navigation for the the GUI still because um, as I've been adding more and more features, the the nav has just got deeper and deeper. Mm. So um, that needs some refactoring. But uh, that's just some cosmetic changes at this point. Well, you know, even in the wake of a lot of front end development moving towards Jamstack where they consume an API, there's still a whole lot of cases where you do actually want to have an actual server spun up where you have control over your data. And it sounds like you're doing a really, really amazing job of, of coming up with a system that's going to work really well for craft. So I mean, that this sounds yeah, incredible. The, the, the principle behind it is this is what I would want if I was just spinning up a yeah. CMS site. And I didn't want to worry about making it high availability on the back end. I didn't want to worry about log aggregation. I didn't want to worry about best practices for storing and serving assets. Sure. This is what I would use to yeah. kind of solve all of those things out. Solve it once. Uh, Matt, uh, yeah. you got any uh, questions for Matt before we let him go? Me? Yeah. No, I'm just writing down words he's saying. <laughs> he used another one. I've never I've never used the phrase cluster buffering. And yet he, you know, it's just like things I don't understand. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. Matt, do we have to worry about your health and safety after this podcast? <laughs> Are you going to be okay? okay? You sure? Having a great time. Okay. I'm going to have to think of a new name for my show where Ashton Kutcher serves legal notices. But we're going to be fine. Served? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I get it. Like punked. Very, very clever. It was a stretch. Patrick, you got anything for Matt? Uh, No, it sounds really impressive. I I signed up for the private beta this morning or at least filled in a little form there. So I'm interested to check this thing out. Awesome. Yeah, Um, yeah, as I'm going through the private beta list i'm just sending out invite codes to people and for those who are willing i'm also doing a video call where they share their screen with me as we go through the onboarding just so that i can learn how they are interacting with the system anything that's that they're not sure about i'm there to firstly answer but also to write down so that i can make sure it's either in an faq or i fix it so that other people aren't confused about it but the yeah the private beta is quite involved at the moment you get a lot of direct contact with me when it goes more into public beta that'll be more of a traditional beta where it's just log on and try your best to break it yeah and matt if you see someone in your your queue there for the private beta named patrick just bump them to the back of the line <laughs> <laughs> is, he only is, signed up today so he's already at the bottom of the queue awesome is is there anything right now that like a, a commonly used i don't know convention plugin any any particular aspect of a craft install that that would be a deal breaker for somebody that's that's looking to to try the beta anything that relies on operating system level dependencies so if you were one that i have come across is there was a project that was using an operating system level pdf generating library oh yeah Mm -hmm. and because i'm just taking your git repo and deploying it into a best practices craft container that wasn't available in the uh, the operating system level and the only way for me to be able to supply that would be to build a custom container for that project to live within which my platform does have the capability of allowing essentially it works with base images so you can select a base image mm-hmm. and then you apply your project on top of that base image the base image can be different versions of php and things like that so if you wanted to run on php 5.6 i could build a base container with mm-hmm. php 5.6 I mean- and then your project would get inserted into that so I could build a custom container which allowed that. It's just that it doesn't quite fit into the kind of the overall idea of how I wanted this to work. Building custom containers for everyone kind of doesn't fit into that. Mm-hmm. But for an enterprise client, for instance, it would be pretty simple for me to do that. Well, couldn't you do something like it if it ended up being popular enough that you just the similar way that you came up with an image service come up with a PDS service, right? And you could use the same library under the hood. Yeah, if it was popular enough, then I could either bake it into the base images that everyone was using right um, in which case everyone would have access to it uh, or or it could be done as a, a an external service so yeah 
there's um there's, there's lots of different ways that this can be expanded using the technologies that this is already based on well i'm excited i can't wait to see your your public release on this but that that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast to have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player subscribe to our rss or subscribe via itunes and, or google play and if you like what we're doing leave us a review we haven't had a review in a couple of months come on folks get on it you can also follow us on Twitter at DevModeFM, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the DevMode.FM website. For the DevMode.FM podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. And I'm Matt Stein. And thank you very much. Matt Gray is okay for coming on. Cheers. Stein, I hope we don't have to put you on suicide watch or anything. You're gonna be doing all right. <laughs> oh, I'm living vicariously through Matt Gray. <laughs> it's not all bad. Okay, you have to send send me a list afterwards of everything that you want me to explain. <laughs> <laughs>